Well, some of us have been feeling very Olympic this past week, and maybe continue in the next week. There's been incredible excitement as we watch the the competition, and whether it's swimming, whether it's soccer, whether it's gymnastics, um, it's been it's been incredible. And what's you know been actually very incredible is actually because there's no fans in the stands, um, we've kind of been tuned into these watch parties. And it's really neat to see the, the family and friends kind of gathered around and also just to, to celebrate. Uh, when that young teenager named Lydia, uh, Lydia Jacoby from Seawald, Alaska, won the gold, what a scene. It was like her entire high school or entire town showed, showed up as they jumped for joy uh, as she finished in first place. And then, of course, there was Suni Lee. Uh, she wins all around gymnastics gold. And it's not just her family, but, she's, but the family was surrounded by the Hmong community. And as, they, as she finished in first, they erupted in cheers. There was much celebration during the Olympic Games. And whether it's winning a medal or whether it's just getting the personal best, there's much celebration. But there's even more celebration in heaven above when even one sinner repents. There is much rejoicing in the recovery of the loss. And that has been the theme of Luke chapter 15. With jubilant celebration, and from back-to-back parables that we've just covered, the recovery of the lost sheep, the recovery of the lost coin, and even today we'll find out in terms of the recovery of the lost son. However, we're ever so mindful, not everybody was joyful. In fact, at the beginning of our text, uh, the tax collectors, uh, and the as the tax collectors and sinners were approaching Jesus, it was the religious leaders, it was the Pharisees uh, and the scribes had grumbled. And they said, this man, that is Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. And so as the passage begins with tension, we may note the chapter ends with the lingering tension. You know, of all the collection of Jesus' parables, the prodigal son is the most powerfully dramatic, and it's intensely personal. The third parable is lengthier than the previous two, and expands on the topic of both repentance and restoration. And so in this parable, we get the picture. We get the picture in terms of God's joy. And there is four varied pictures for us to consider here in our text. And so let's take a look at each one of them. Four pictures. Picture number one. It is the picture of rejection. It is the picture of rejection. The parable starts off with the younger of two sons asking the father for his share of the inheritance. And so we could just pause right there. Because this was more than asking for the credit card to fill up the gas tank. This was more than just, hey, can I have some money for to go out for lunch? 
This was asking for it all. This was asking for everything up front, which was not even his right to ask for such a sum. So he's making this request while his father is still living. So in some sense, asking for the inheritance up front is equivalent of treating his father as if he was already dead. And there lies the rejection. The rejection in in the relationship. Abandoning life with his father. Forsaking the values and leaving abruptly from home. The son wanted it all. He wanted his own money. His own life. His own ways that excluded the father. And so very quickly... In this picture of rejection, we see the picture of sin. We also see the implications of it, too. And let me just give you two words. Hurt and humiliation. Hurt and humiliation. There is pain when it comes to this rejection. A relationship that is being ripped apart. There is no, I'll send you a postcard when I get there. There is no, I'll text you when I get settled. Or I'll call you in a few days. There was nothing like that. It was severed. I I want no more. When I'm gone, I'm gone. That's it. Can you imagine the hurt? The the, the hurt of the father. Also, can you imagine the, the humiliation Uh, Even though the parable does not go in detail, but think about it, to collectively gather all the assets, go to the bank, make all the transactions, sell the property, liquidate all everything, it must be humiliating for the father to do all this and, and then bring it to his son who would walk out and walk away and be done with him and be done with everything. Sin is more than just messing up one's life, but rather it is a flat-out rejecting God. It's rebelling to the point of hurt, and not just hurting yourself, but hurting God. You are offending the Lord God. You know, oftentimes sin is described as missing the mark, and since we're in this Olympic mood, it used to be the ancient Greek games that went prior to the Olympic Games. And when there was the archery competition, the archer would pull back his bow and he would shoot at the target. And if he would miss it, the judge would say the word sin, that is in Greek. Sin was missing the mark. But the other aspect I think it's missing here in that definition, is really rebelling and being offensive to God. So it's not simply just missing the mark of perfection, but it's like the, the, uh, the person that holds the arrow, pointing it towards God and letting it go. Sin is not, is not just defiantly shaking your fist, but it's really throwing a punch at the Lord God. 
when you take inventory at your, of your mistakes, particularly your sin, realize you're not just simply hurting yourselves or hurting those around you. You're hurting God. Sin is offensive to a holy God. And so Jesus gives us this picture, this picture of rejection. And we get the sense, we get the feeling of hurt. We get the feeling of humiliation. But he also gives us another picture, the picture of repentance. And so as the story goes, the young man goes to the distant country where he squanders the inheritance with loose living. A famine is hit, and, and the young man began to be in need. And, you know, the so-called friends that who helped him spend the money was were either in need themselves or nowhere to be found. So he had nothing, no resources, no friends, no contacts. And the only job he could find was feeding pigs from a local farmer. And even he attested that even the swine had more than he. So it's another reminder in terms of how sin is costly. It separates loved ones like the son and the father. It squanders what was meant for good and needful. And it spirals one in both sorrow and sadness deep within their souls. But Jesus in verse 17 gives us this picture, this picture of repentance. And so the word reads, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'll rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so we're directed already to verse 17 where it says he came to himself or he came to his senses. Sin has that effect to us. We're out of our sort, so to speak. And, he, and in here he, came, he comes to his senses. He, he realizes that his, his father's workers, his, their hired hands are, are ate better and far better, fare better than what he did, and he came to that at that point. So he is determined to return, to go back, and to go back and, turn, and confess his wrongs before the Father and ask for mercy. Friends, this is some considerations for repentance. Uh, repentance begins by, by seeing our true condition for what it is. It says he came to himself or came to his senses. He realized what he had done. And it took him a while to come to this awareness. But repentance is the stark reality of understanding one's own transgression before God. So in addition, repentance is not coming to that truthful, stark reality of understanding one's own transgression, but it is turning. Not turning to self, not turning to someone else, but turning to the Father for help. Repentance is turning from our sin to God himself. There is no other 
than God himself for one to turn towards. Repentance is not just another commitment to do better or to try better, but rather a confession before God. I have sinned against heaven and before you. If you think about it, confession feels the the weight of sin and the need to come before a holy God confessing our sins. And so the young man is mortified in understanding his transgressions. He turns or comes to God confessing his sin. He makes no excuses. He takes up full responsibilities, and he's determined to confess and ask for God's mercy. As we think about it, the gospel always brings us to the end of ourselves, our follies, our foolishness, our self-reliance, our self-absorption, our resources. And if we have to think further, there is not enough cologne to cover the stench of sin. There is not enough soap to wash the residue of sin. But it's only the blood of Jesus can cover. And only one fountain of blood from Christ can wash our sins away. Have we ever come to a point of repentance? Just as those four young men testified, turning to God, confessing your sins, asking for mercy, forgiveness made possible through Jesus Christ. Maybe we should follow the prodigal's pattern, turn to God. And like that young man in the story, confess our sins and ask for his mercy. Jesus gives us pictures here. Uh, The picture of rejection, the picture of repentance. He also gives us the picture of restoration. The picture of restoration. And so look at verse 40, because you see the, the, the picture, and you could kind of hone in on a couple of words, and we'll get to but you see the evidence in terms of the the father's compassion. So in verse 20, it says, And he arose, that is the young man, and he came to his father, and when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced and kissed him. So in verse 20, notice the, the four key action words. Saw, ran, Embrace and kiss. The son got up, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, it says his father saw him. He noticed him. The father had been waiting for him. There was no advance signal. There was no alarm going off. There was no sensor that led to alarm or light or anything like that. There was no signal whatsoever. But the father had been anticipating for this moment. He'd been waiting on the road and finally saw him at the distance. Friends, God sees you. He longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high for you. And he's not distracted. And he's not too too busy to see you. To see you move. 
to see you take a step. He sees you deep within your soul. And he sees you with compassion that is evident. And like I said, the key action words here are saw and then ran. He, he just can't wait to see you, but he wants to bless you, to embrace you. Another key action word, kiss you. It's like the father saying, you are home. Home from alienation. Home from rebellion. Home from being from forsaking. And so the father sees the, the young son broken, humble, destitute. And he welcomes him with hugs and kisses. This is our picture of restoration. And it gets better. After the son makes his confession, the father makes a signal and says to the, says to the hired help, quickly bring out the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his, on his hand and sandals on his feet. And so from rags to robe, the robe would cover the sun. All the stains, all the dirt with one draping. The robe erased all visible signs of the son's sinful past. The, the ring is a, is a symbol of authority, of, a, of sonship. And don't forget the shoes, or back in the days, maybe it's the sandals. Putting on the sandals means you're part of the family. And so like the previous two parables, there is a celebration. A fattened calf is taken down, feast for all. It's a great reminder in terms of that God is joyful when a sinner comes home, when, when someone repents. It speaks in terms of how Jesus receives tax gatherers and, and sinners and eats with them. And this brings out the joy of the Father, gathering the lost children. There is much rejoicing when the lost is recovered. Now, it almost seems like you want to end the story on that good note. But there's another picture here. And it's not very positive. The story continues. One last picture. It is the picture of resentment. Like rejection, this is also an illustration of sin. And we see what's happening here. The, the, the older son hears the commotion, hears the music, and he inquires about it. And he finds out that his, his brother is back safe and sound. He hears it not just once, but he also hears it twice, the latter from the father, yet he was impervious, that he was cold and callous, like he was in a separate box. He was not moved. He didn't make a move, nor did he want to make a move or plan to make a move towards his brother. And then he became angry. And that's rebellion happening. And when his father again informed him of his brother's return, he stayed mad and became contentious, that is, argumentative. He gave his reasons about how he was holding up the ranch, doing his job, being responsible, and the younger one was away. 
And yet he claimed he didn't even receive a party or even have a goat to celebrate. Yet the father was gracious with reassurance and invited him again. And so that story leaves us hanging because we don't know whether the older son responded and most likely he did not. You know, as we begin to close, if you had to compare the, the, uh, the two brothers, there's a lot of differences, right? We have the younger son left home while we have the older son staying home. We have the younger one being wasteful while the other one, older one was a, was a worker. The younger son lost his inheritance. Uh, the older one did not. The younger one realized his sin while the older one felt righteous before the father. The younger son repented while the older son resented. It's easy to stop right there. And we usually we do. Those differences, and maybe we choose between one or the other in terms of how maybe our lives are like. But if you think about it, let's go further. There are similarities in both of these sons. Both of these sons wanted to party or wanted their own celebration. The younger one partied with the pagans. The older one protested to party with his pals. And furthermore, both sons wanted their parties or wanted their celebrations without the father. Neither of the sons really appreciated or really enjoyed their father. One defiantly left while the other defiantly stayed. The similarities reveal whether we're like the religious ones, socially accepted, or socially acceptable sinner, I should say, like the older son, or or like the, the religious rulers, or even a non-religious, socially unacceptable sinner like the younger son, or, or like the tax collectors, whichever is the case, we are all unworthy of God's favor. We've all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. However, it's because of the love of God the joy of God, the power of God that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. This is his gracious gift to us. And all we have to do is respond to God's beckoning, God's calling to repent and come to Christ in faith who receives sinners like you and me and give them eternal life. And so have you or will you repent? Will you Come to Jesus. You know, for us as a church, we need to ask ourselves, do, ask ourselves the question, do, do we welcome sinners? Or whether we, like the religious leaders, send a contrary message that they are not wanted. If we understand the grace of God, 
We will welcome sinners that, uh, as though they are like us, unworthy of God's favor, and rejoice when they experience the grace just as we have received. And there's one more thing, and that is the joy. As you know, joy is filtered all through the parables, rejoicing when one sinner repents. We discussed earlier in previous message in terms of how God is the source of joy, how he has provided the joy, uh, how he promised joy, our joy to be full, and how God gives us even the power to experience joy. Uh, maybe some of us are missing out of joy. But be reminded that God rejoices over you, rejoices over a sinner who repents because he loves you and desires the fullness and the best for you. And so let us pray. Father, we're ever so mindful that, Father, you want us to experience joy. The joy that comes from you. The joy that comes from salvation. The joy that comes in abiding in your truth. Father, forgive us when, when we walk away from it. And Father, if we're not experiencing it now, Father, we do pray that we will. We do ask, and we ask in faith, that you would fill our lives with your joy. The joy that comes in knowing you. The joy that comes in following you. The joy that comes with obeying you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your truths. And Father, we pray, Father, for especially as a church, uh, that, Father, that you would continue to empower us, Father, to reach out to others, to experience the joy of knowing you. And so let us go in faith. Let us go in, in your power. And we pray and trust, Father, uh, for salvations to come. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.